You're listening to the St. John's Diamond Creek Podcast. This episode presented by Senior Minister Tim Johnson. Today's reading is Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. One of the key Christian symbols in the very early years of the church was the image of a shepherd. So in the catacombs in Rome, the underground burial tunnels, there are pictures of shepherds which mark out Christian burial sites. Uh, This picture here is from the second century. So as Christians face death, They drew comfort from this image of Jesus as their good shepherd, watching over them, looking after them and caring for them. And in these next few weeks, as we journey through the season of Lent, the weeks leading up to Easter, we're going to focus on this image in the Bible, the image of God and Jesus as a good shepherd. Now, in a movie or a musical, there's often uh, theme music that will play at various points associated with particular characters or groups of characters. Uh, So in The Lord of the Rings, there's theme music to represent the hobbits and the elves and the Rohirrim. Or in a musical like Les Miserables, you know, Jean Valjean and Javert each have their theme song, their theme music that plays and is quite distinctive. And the Good Shepherd theme is a bit like that. You can think about it like a piece of music which has certain notes that play. And this theme song appears through the Old Testament and comes to its crescendo with the person of Jesus. Jesus speaks of himself as the good shepherd, the one who lays down his life for the sheep. But when Jesus speaks in this way, he's drawing on a rich tradition that went before him. And it's helpful for us to trace this through the Bible to see how the song plays out and the different variations on the theme as the song is played. Now, the inspiration for this series that we're doing over these next few weeks comes from a book by Kenneth Bailey. Uh, The book's called The Good Shepherd, A Thousand-Year Journey from Psalm 23 to the New Testament. Bailey's a, a Bible teacher and a Bible scholar who spent most of his working life in Middle Eastern contexts. And so he brings to his teaching and his writing Uh, a real perspective of how the original readers of biblical literature would have understand things in their context. 
Uh, it's a solid read, uh, but it's one that I highly recommend. Uh, and today we're starting with Psalm 23. This is not the first place that the image of God as shepherd comes up in the Bible, but if we're thinking of this as a theme song, it's a great place for this to be played out and to hear the different notes of the song. Psalm 23 is one of the most well-known and well-loved passages in the Bible. Uh, a number of songs have been written uh, with these words, and it's a passage that's regularly read at funerals, reflecting that same comfort that those early Christians with their images of the shepherd in the catacombs in Rome drew on. Psalm 23 is a beautiful laying out of this image of God as the shepherd. And as we go through this psalm today, I'm going to go through it verse by verse. And the way I'm going to do it is I'm going to speak a little bit about each verse, but then I'm going to turn it into a prayer at the end of each section. I've spoken before about how in my own prayer life, I often use the Lord's Prayer as a scaffold or a structure for prayer, using those lines but, but riffing off them to expand them and to pray. And I use Psalm 23 in the same way, and I think it's a helpful structure for our prayers. So I want to model that as we go through it together today. Psalm 23 starts like this. The Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. It's really the heading for the psalm, and everything that follows flows out and expands on this idea. Now, when we read the words, the Lord, uh, in our Bibles, and Lord is in capital letters, it's a translation of the personal name for God, Yahweh, the name that God revealed to his people. So we're not talking about some vague or impersonal God. We're talking about Yahweh, the Lord, who revealed himself to his people in history by saving them and also told them what he is like in his word. Notice that this psalm starts and it ends by speaking about the Lord. It starts, the Lord is my shepherd, and it finishes, I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. It's like a frame wrapping around the whole psalm, showing that everything that comes in between is speaking about this Lord, Yahweh. So what is Yahweh like? Well, he's a shepherd. No, 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 more than that. He is my shepherd. This is intensely personal, and I think it's one of the key reasons why we resonate with this psalm so much. The all-powerful creator God is my shepherd. He knows me, and he cares for me personally as his sheep. Now, that's a stunning truth, especially uh, in the light of the fact that normally you see sheep in large flocks, don't you? You don't often have individual sheep. Uh, they're communal animals. So you'd expect David to write something like, the Lord is our shepherd, which would be true as well. But he focuses on the personal relationship, that God knows him as an individual and God acts towards him personally as his good shepherd. And then he says something stunning. I lack nothing. Can you say those words to God with any confidence? 
I find when I'm praying this psalm, it always pulls me up short. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. Hang on a second. Uh, There are lots of things that I feel like I'm lacking when I start a new day. I don't have enough time or energy. I don't have enough wisdom for the things that I'm going to be facing in the day. I feel ill-equipped and under-resourced for what lies in front of me. And so to speak the words, I lack nothing to God, is an expression of faith. It's a step of trust and commitment to God, the Good Shepherd. I lack nothing. Why? Well, it's certainly not because of my brilliance or my capacity. It's because God is my shepherd and he will supply all my needs. So let's pause and pray. Thank you, God, for who you are, that you are a good and loving shepherd. You are my shepherd. You know me love me and watch over me. With you, I lack nothing. I affirm that truth today as I look to you. With you, I have everything that I need. I trust and rely on you today. Now, the reason that we lack nothing is expanded on through the rest of the psalm. Here's what verse 2 says. He makes me lie down in green pastures, He leads me beside quiet waters. The focus here is on God the shepherd who provides our daily needs. Now, our dog Banjo is reasonably well trained. If I say to Banjo, sit, he sits. If I say, drop, he drops down on the ground. Have you ever seen anyone do that with a sheep? It doesn't work. And yet here we're told that he makes me lie down. How How do you get a sheep to do that? Well, there's only one way that you can get a sheep to lie down, apparently, and that is when their tummies are full. When they're in such lush grass that they've had plenty to eat, they feel satisfied and they lie down and sleep. A rarity in the Middle East where there's not much greenery and you have to wander far and wide to get enough nourishment. But David, the writer, affirms here that God is a good shepherd And he provides so thoroughly for his sheep that they can lie down in the midst of rich pastures. Similarly, uh, the reference to quiet waters isn't referring to some Japanese garden, which is very peaceful and tranquil, but the reality that sheep won't drink from moving water. They have to have still water. And so it speaks of a shepherd providing that need for the sheep. Sometimes shepherds would even dig channels and pools from fast-moving streams so that the sheep were provided for. So there's some effort here, and this is speaking about the provision of the good shepherd, providing food and drink. It's a bit like the equivalent line in the Lord's Prayer, where we pray to God, give us today our daily bread, right? We look to God for the necessities of life. It's not limited to food. It focuses on the reality that God gives us what we need and all we need. It may not be everything that we want, but he gives us what we need for each day. So let's pray again. Thank you, God, my shepherd, that you provide my needs. 
Thank you today that I will have enough food and drink for what I need. Thank you that you nourish me both physically and spiritually. And so help me to be mindful of others and share what I have with those in need. Verse 3 continues, He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Now, in our English translation, like the NIV that we use here at church, it's a continuation of the thought from verse 2. You can even see that there's a comma at the end of verse 2, and the full stop comes halfway through verse 3. Uh, he refreshes or he restores my soul. So it sounds like it's speaking more about what's been spoken about with the food and drink, or we might even sometimes uh, understand this psychologically, that God looks after my well-being. He refreshes my inner self, my soul. Uh, now, that's absolutely true. God does that. God cares for our emotional and spiritual and psychological well-being. But there's another way that this verse can be understood. It can be translated quite literally as, he brings me back. And this is actually how it's translated in some Middle Eastern translations like uh, the Syriac uh, Peshitta, which is a translation of the Bible. Uh, it's an awareness that sheep get lost and get themselves into trouble. Now, if you don't believe me, just have a look at this video. When a sheep gets into trouble, it cannot rescue itself. In fact, a lost sheep will often just bleat and call for help and get itself into such a state of anxiety that it won't be able to move anymore. So it's the job of a good shepherd to go searching for a lost sheep and carry it home. In the words here, he brings me back. Now, when Jesus picks up this image of the good shepherd and speaks of himself as the good shepherd, he speaks a lot about this idea of the shepherd who leaves 99 sheep to go and look for one. And it's probably not a new idea that Jesus is speaking about here, but one that's embedded in Psalm 23 itself. Uh, David, who wrote this, was very aware of his own sin and failure and his need for God to bring him back, forgive him, restore him when he's stuffed up. And God does the same for us. Uh, God is a good shepherd who won't abandon us when we make mistakes, when we stuff things up, when we sin. He comes looking for us so that he can rescue us and bring us back. Interestingly, in the hymn, The King of Love My Shepherd Is, uh, it interprets uh, this line in this way in the third verse. Perverse and foolish oft I strayed, but yet in love he sought me, and on his shoulder gently laid, and home rejoicing brought me. This reading is consistent with the rest of the verse too. He brings me back and he guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. That's the life of faith, isn't it? Uh, when we stuff up, 
and we all stuff up. None of us is perfect. All of us fail time and time again. When we do that, God brings us back and forgives us, but he wants to set us on right paths from now on, not like the sheep in that previous video. God shows us the way to live and he directs us how to live our lives to the best for his name's sake. So let's pray. Thank you, God, my shepherd, that you rescue me despite my stupidity and my sin. You bring me back. Please forgive me for the areas in my life where I've wandered off like a lost sheep. Guide me in the right paths that I would live life well and wisely. And I pray this for your name's sake. Now, one of the things that I absolutely love about the Bible is its honesty, right? The Bible doesn't pretend that life's going to be smooth and easy. On the contrary, it acknowledges the hard stuff that we face. Verse 4 is exactly like that. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Notice the words there, even though I walk through the darkest valley. Right? God doesn't fill in the valleys of life with, with concrete so that we don't have to go into them. He doesn't give us some superpower so we fly above every valley and difficulty that might come along. No, dark valleys, tough times are a reality of life that all of us will face. In older translations of this psalm, it speaks of the valley of the shadow of death. Uh, and of course, death itself is one of those dark valleys. Uh, we experience grief as we mourn lost loved ones. Uh, we experience fear, perhaps, as we face our own death and mortality. But there are other dark valleys too, aren't there? Depression, relationship breakdowns, loneliness addictions, bullying, shame. Maybe you feel you're right down the bottom of one of those dark valleys yourself at the moment. Well, this psalm doesn't deny that reality or ignore it and say just get over it or pretend it's not happening. No, it faces it squarely as a, as a painful and yet real reality of life. And yet, at the same time, David can say, I will fear no evil. Now, how can he be so confident in the midst of difficulty and, and hardship? How can he not be afraid of evil? Well, the answer brings us to the, the key moment and the climax of this entire psalm. For you are with me. I don't need to be afraid, even if I'm down the bottom of a deep, dark valley, God, because you, my shepherd, are there alongside me. You are with me in the valley. Now, I say this is the climax of this psalm for two reasons. Firstly, notice that David in writing this shifts from speaking about the Lord and he to getting personal and speaking directly to God. You are with me. But also these words form the exact center of this psalm. There are 26 words in the Hebrew before this. There are 26 words afterwards. And so the words, you are with me, is the epicenter 
of this entire psalm, which in Hebrew thinking, the middle is the climactic moment of the whole. So right in the heart of this psalm, it speaks of God's presence with us. Emmanuel, God is with us. It points forward to the incarnation that God himself will come and live amongst us in the person of Jesus. It points to Jesus who says, I am the good shepherd. It points to the reality that God gives his Holy Spirit to live within us as followers of Jesus so that he is always with us, living within us, even in the dark valleys. Through the toughest times of life, we can say to God, you are with me and say that with confidence. He's a good shepherd. He has weapons in his hand, his rod and his staff used to protect for protecting us, and so we don't need to be afraid. Let's pray. Thank you, God, my shepherd, that you are with me even in the tough places. My dark valley that I'm facing at the moment, Lord, is this. Help me not to be afraid. Thank you that you are there with me in the midst of this dark place. So please protect me and comfort me. In verse 5 of the psalm, the image seems to change from a shepherd to a host at a banquet. But that climactic moment that I spoke about flows on into these remaining verses as well. David, as he writes, continues to use the word you and speak directly to God. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. I think we struggle often, I certainly do, when we read references in the Psalms to enemies. Uh, We don't often feel necessarily like we have enemies. But David, who wrote this psalm, did. And it was probably a feature of the fact of his position as the king of a whole nation of of Israel. Uh, Leaders today are not that different. If you are the prime minister or the premier of any state, no doubt you would have a list of people who are out to get you enemies. But in a lesser sense, you can probably think of people at school or at work or in your area who oppose you and make life difficult for you. And the real point of these verses is that whatever the nature of these enemies, that we we look to God in the midst of these difficult conflict situations. We see God as the one who will honour us even when others shame us. God lays out a table for us in the presence of our enemies. He anoints us, uh, recognising us as, as special to him. And he gives us such an abundance that, you know, our cup overflows. It's so filled up constantly by God that it's spilling over. It's a good reminder, given what we've been talking about in our previous teaching series about mission and the challenge of doing mission in Jesus' name and the negative reactions we often face when we go out and identify as followers of Jesus. That even when that happens, even when we're dishonoured and rejected by other people, we can remember whose verdict is it that ultimately counts. God honours us. 
God's truth will be made clear so we can afford to be less worried about what other people think, knowing that we're precious to God and he honours us and recognises us. So let's pray. Thank you, God, that you recognise and you honour me as your child. I know that my standing before you is clear and will be made known. Help me to seek your approval and worry less about what other people think. Your verdict is the one that matters. You lay out a table for me. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Now, if you're walking down the street with a friend and they turn to you and say, don't look now, but I think we're being followed, is that a good thing or a bad thing? Uh, my guess is that your mind jumped to the negative because we assume if someone's following us, they're following us to do harm or to rob us or something like that. But if you were uh, riding in a cycling event, maybe the Tour de France or something like that, then you are followed by a support vehicle. And the reason that that happens is if someone breaks something on their bike or injures themselves, there's help at hand. So being followed is a good thing if it's for our good and our benefit. And that's what verse 6 reminds us. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I'll dwell in the house of the Lord forever. We're told here that God's goodness and love, your goodness and your love, follow us. It might even be stronger than that. Um, you could translate this as pursue us, chase after us. And these verses really remind us of the fullness of relationship that God offers us. Every day, God wants what is best for us. As you head off to school or to work, uh, as you look after kids at home or head out into your local neighbourhood, God's goodness and love are following after you, pursuing you. And it's a reminder that it's an everyday occurrence and it's an occurrence that never ends. We're told here that we dwell in the house of the Lord forever, speaking of enjoying God's presence forever. It's no wonder that images of this good shepherd were painted in the catacombs back in ancient Rome. It's no wonder that we come back to this psalm again and again, particularly at times of stress, like at a funeral service. It's a theme song which speaks with great power and great beauty of God's character and who he is and how personally precious we are to God. He's the one who provides everything that we need. With him we lack nothing and we can enjoy his presence every day and forever. So let me close in prayer. Thank you, God, that your goodness and love are with me today and every day. Thank you that no matter what happens, I can be assured of enjoying your presence forever. Thank you that even death itself cannot separate me from you. You are my good and my loving shepherd. With you, I truly lack nothing. Amen. 
Thanks for joining us. If you'd like to subscribe to this podcast, you can do so in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts from. Just search for St. John's Diamond Creek.